a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. What's up, guys? My Take Radio. Episode 117 for Wednesday, November 23rd, 2011. The intro music you just heard was You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Obviously, you can get that on iTunes, Amazon MP3, and any other retailers that offer MP3 downloads. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. All right, we got a couple of things going on. Um, the guest, the, the feedback line is three four seven eight one five zero MTR or zero six eight seven. Again, the feedback line three four seven eight one five zero six eight seven or zero MTR. Either way is fine. You can leave your comments, questions, uh, social commentary, whatever the hell you want. You can leave on that line. We are still testing that out. Please note that any recordings that are recorded on the answering service will be played on air. Just wanted to give you guys the heads up so you don't get all bent out of shape. Oh, why are you playing that on air? That's why. You're doing so at your own risk. If you don't want your audio played, by all means, please let me know. Let's get some housekeeping out of the way. Our forums officially go offline this weekend, so if you go into the forums for whatever reason, which in most cases you guys haven't, so... It doesn't even fucking matter, but nonetheless, the forums will go offline this weekend. All activity going forward will be relegated to Twitter and our Facebook fan page, mytakeradio.com forward slash facebook.com, excuse me, forward slash mytakeradio. A little wired, I apologize. Um, With regards to that, our Twitter presence, of course, we're almost at a thousand followers. We're getting a lot of great back and forth with many of our followers, and we appreciate that. Our Facebook fan page, though, is a little bit of a mixed bag. We have instances where we make one or two different posts, and we get, I don't know, uh, three, four amount of comments on there, you know, and it's it's fine. I have no issues with it, but with over 1,600 fans, we really do want to increase the commentary on Facebook, so... If there's certain things you want to see us post about or certain things you want to see on the fan page or you want to hear other MTR fans' feedback on, by all means, feel free to share that as well. Um, We're going to make sure that most of the stuff in the forums transitions to the fan page in in some shape, way, or form. I can't go too crazy with certain things only because I don't want to spam anybody's timelines, etc., etc., and people get real butthurt about it, so... We're going to try and keep the the content frequent and plentiful, but not to the point where it detracts from people's enjoyment of the fan page. So most of that's going to be increased in the coming weeks now, especially with the departure of the forums. So I wanted to give you guys the heads up. My Take Radio is now officially on the Miro program guide. For those that use the Miro program and get their podcasts and video shows off of that, MTR is listed on there. Uh, Miro is a platform that offers various internet video plus different podcasts. I definitely got to throw a shout out to the podcast helper for putting me on to that. 
and it's just another outlet for you guys to get access to the show. In addition to that, of course, you can get MTR on Stitcher, which is just a a great alternative to syncing your phone with iTunes and having a drag-and-drop MP3s and just taking up space. With Stitcher, you'll be able to stream MTR directly via the Stitcher app. No syncing needed, no memory or storage wasted. On top of that, Stitcher is compatible with iPhone, Android, WebOS, and BlackBerry devices. And they're going to give you a $100 gift card if you get the app and enter MyTake as the promo code. Head over to Stitcher.com forward slash MyTake. Enter the promo code, which is M-Y-T-A-K-E, and you'll be entered with the opportunity to win a $100 gift card courtesy of MTR and Stitcher. Get Glue, we're almost at 100 check-ins, really pumped about that, really enjoy what I'm seeing and the interaction I've been getting with Get Glue. If you're a Get Glue user and you listen to MTR, just check in, let us know that you're using the service, keeping things uh, active on that front and trying to do different things with that. Our t-shirts are live on the MTR store, we got shirts for ladies, we got shirts for the fellas, we have two different types of hoodies, pullover and zippered, so just head over to the MTRTs section on MyTakeRadio.com and you'll be able to see the stuff there in the store. Our Amazon affiliate store is also up, if you want to do any holiday shopping for Black Friday, pick up any games, movies, Blu-rays, and in the same instance help out MTR. Click the MTR Amazon store link on MyTakeRadio.com. Everything is handled by Amazon. It's just any purchases done via that referral help us out. So by all means, if you're going to do any holiday shopping, help MTR out. Do it that way. There's no backhanded nothing or other. Everything goes straight through Amazon. You don't got to worry about anybody sticking their hands in your pocket trying to get any extra money out of you. It's business as usual. We're just referring you that way. And the best part is everything we talk about or review on the show and on the site gets added to the Amazon affiliate store. And in some some instances, you'll even save a little money going that route. So by all means, if you're doing any Amazon shopping, go through the My Take Radio Amazon affiliate store. Help us out that way. One other thing which I kind of wanted to get into was the use of doing live broadcasts. And I've been weighing this out for the last few weeks. And I really do enjoy the live broadcast format of the show. I enjoy the interaction, the way things work with some of our guests. But I have been giving thought to possibly switching to a non-live format and just recording shows and uploading them that way only because it's easier to maintain and it's not as stressful to deal with something I've been entertaining. I don't know if you guys are for it or against it, but if you would prefer a live format or if you would prefer something just archived that you can listen to whenever you wish, as has been the case with our um, MTR app and stitcher, then by all means, let us know just something I've been thinking about in terms of trimming overhead and looking for ways to, increase the quality of the show but not detract from the the great stuff that we give you guys so if you guys would prefer a live show or if you would prefer just doing something pre-recorded by all means let me know i'm curious about your feedback with regards to that since i've been entertaining that for the last couple of weeks and frankly as much as i like using blog talk radio There is a huge amount of work involved just making sure that those of you that are getting the show via iTunes or via the app or even via Stitcher are getting the best quality audio. The problem with Blog Talk Radio right now currently is the quality of audio that they are offering is just not as good as 
as can be expected. And it's really starting to take its toll because it's becoming an increasingly uh, drawn out process to get out a better quality show for you guys. After working out all the bugs with Libsyn, we are publishing the shows faster, but the editing process, especially with those that are getting the shows via Blog Talk Radio, most times I don't even bother re-uploading the episode. I just finished broadcasting live only because it's just way too many steps. So if you guys have any feedback with regards to that, by all means, feel free to hit me up on the feedback line, 347-815-0687, or email me mtrhost at mytakeradio.com and let me know what you think, if you would prefer a live format or if you would rather go with something that's already pre-recorded. I'd like to hear your thoughts. We got tons of content coming up this week. Don't think that just because tomorrow is Thanksgiving that MTR will be silent. On the contrary, um, a day where I'm not doing my regular 9 to 5 affords me the opportunity of being able to give you guys a lot of content. I mean, don't get me wrong, I will be tied up with all the Thanksgiving shenanigans, but there will be a lot of stuff going on the site. So keep an eye on the site for that stuff. For those of you that have the app and are getting the show via Stitcher, MTR Behind the Mic has an interview up with Wayne Shotta from Team Takeover. He's a YouTube video vlogger that does MMA along with his co-host JMMA. He's also a, a colleague of Bloodstained Lanes. So if you're an MMA fan and you want to hear uh, some honest opinions on mixed martial arts, definitely check him out. Uh, Wayne is, an, is just an awesome individual and he loves feedback. So if you are listening to his... Um, recaps on youtube or are getting subscriptions for his channel by all means please leave him some feedback and if you did hear the interview let him know as well we also have a beyond the mic interview that was taped with mike spring from dvd snapshot dvd snapshot actually relaunched their site last friday so mike actually is looking forward to hearing people's feedback a lot of great dvd dvd blu-ray and box office movie movie reviews there so Give Mike a shout out as well. You can also look for him on Twitter at DVD Snapshot. Same with Wayne Shotta. He's at Wayne Shotta on Twitter. All right. Oh, my voice is really, really, really going. But um, a little water will fix that. Tonight's topics: UFC 139. We're going to talk Strike Force Challengers. We're going to talk a little Bellator, Survivor Series, Monday Night Raw. We got some game news and we got a little bit of video news. Um, a little bit of video game news that are kind of borderline important, not important, but I really wanted to touch on some of those subjects. Also, we talk a little bit about the continued whitewashing of Akira with some new casting that was done this, well, with some rumored casting for the role of Tetsuo and also casting for the Colonel that was established this week. We're going to talk some box office totals and, of course, take any calls that come through as well. First off, I figured with the ton of MMA that happened this weekend, we we really I really would be hard pressed to not cover every aspect of it, but I'm going to try and just go through UFC 139 which was insane. Certain elements of Strike Force Challengers need to be discussed as well, plus your regular MMA news. So, let's not bullshit any further and get right into it. Alright, UFC 139, 
is thus far being considered one of the best UFC events in recent memory. And I would be hard-pressed to disagree only because the amount of great fights on that card and just the, the, the shocking... The shocking way that that card played out was just insane, only because for some of these guys, we expected it to be their swan song. For others, it was just going into the history books, and I'm just going to pluck a couple of fights that I want to discuss. Um, Tom Lawler and Chris Re- and Chris Weedman, uh, Chris fighting here out of here, out of New York City. Tom Lawler, who's always a, an exciting fighter to watch was a very surprising outcome for me only because Chris Mead, Chris Weedman went in 6 and 0, uh, Tom Lawler was 7 and 3 and it was funny cuz the way the round started Lawler started out real aggressive uh landing a couple of, a couple of shots on Weedman early on Weedman at, at one point shot in and got the takedown on Lawler but what ended up happening was Weedman used his superior jiu-jitsu and got side control and tried um, his first attempt at a Darce choke, at which point Lawler did roll out of it, but Weedman ma- managed. Ugh, Weedman managed to secure the Darce choke and choke Lawler unconscious, and that was it. Chris Weedman by de- by submission, Darce choke, two minutes seven seconds in round one. Now the Spike TV prelims had some really good fights as well. Ryan Bader was taken on Jason Brills. I was actually. Happy to see Bader back on television. He's a he's a good fighter, and Brills not being on pay per view. No disrespect to him, but Spike TV is is a better home for him. I think that he's definitely a solid light heavyweight guy, but he's just not a guy who's built himself up to be on a pay per view card yet. Anybody who disagrees, by all means, let me know. But I think that for a Spike TV prelim event, it was solid. Bader went in there, secured a KO immediately. It was vicious as it was as vicious as vicious could be. They traded up. They traded some shots in the beginning. Uh, then Bader just went ape shit with his hands, cracked Brills, and it was lights out. He ended up catching him right on the back of his ear, and Brills fucking folded like a deck of cards. On the pay-per-view side of things, the American Psycho Stefan Bonner versus Kyle Kingsbury opened things up. Bonner was very aggressive in all three rounds. I was actually... Not surprised only because Stefan Bonner likes to go in there and have what I like to call bloodbath fights. These are the fights that people talk about for years and years just because it's the measuring stick that was created when he fought Forrest Griffin. So Bonner just goes in there, stands and bangs with whoever whoever he's facing, and it's great to watch. But in this particular fight, we got to see a new dimension of Stefan Bonner. He looked more... He looked more clean and more cut in regards to how his strategy was going to go. He looked like he was in great shape for the fight. And he had a solid performance. Bonner secures the victory via unanimous decision. Going into the bantamweight side of things, I'm skipping the Martin Campman fight and Rick Story only because I had actually stepped away and didn't get to see it. But when I came back, uh, Martin Campman won by split decision. On the bantamweight side of things, Uriah Faber, Brian Bowles, Anytime Uriah Faber fights, you can expect to see an exciting and fast-paced fight. Uh, Brian Bowles, no joke. He actually was very aggressive, but Uriah Faber was on a completely different level using a lot of his really great striking, tying it in with his superior wrestling. At one point, he did shoot in and and secure a, a huge takedown, but 
Brian Bowles scouted the guillotine choke that Faber is known for, managed to weasel his way out, stayed aggressive, but the round closed with Faber in top position for round one. In round two, Faber once again using the superior striking caught Bowles early with an uppercut, at which point Bowles went down. Faber swarms in for the finish, but Bowles, tough guy, he recovered, but again, Faber comes back, hits him with a huge knee to the body. I'm surprised Bowles was still standing after that. But Faber secured uh, top position, big elbow strike, and set up the guillotine choke, and it was lights out. Uriah Faber via submission round two. Now the co-main event of the evening, Vanderlei Silva and Kung Lee. Kung Lee is a friend of the show. He's a, he's a class act, cool guy, but I'm, I'm a pride fighting mark. I admit it. Pride Fighting Championships is one of the organizations that help create a diehard MMA fan in me. And Vandele Silva was going in there not only to uh, prove a point, but in some instances, and many people have said he was just fighting for his career. And man, was it was it some crazy shit? Kung Lee, first round, using his his great kicks, spinning back kicks were shown. He ended up securing. He ended up catching Silva with a kick at one point in the ribs. And he, it looked like he stunned him at one point. And, you know, Vandalay held on because he's a warrior and a veteran. Ended up securing a, a solid round for Kung Lee first round. Second round, though, was a different story. Um, Vandalay Silva, finally, he got his range in. Started using some really great striking. Ended up giving Vandalay Silva... Um, he ended up giving Kung Lee um, some... Nose surgery, if you want to call it that. He ended up rearranging his nose. Um, I believe he broke it at the at the top portion closest to his forehead. Um, based on the pictures I've seen, it was pretty bad. Um, Vandalay Silva, just incredible striking, huge amount of damage he gave to Kung Lee. Um, it was a point where some people are questioning the stoppage, but Vanderlei just was more aggressive in round two. He found his range. He had really good strategy, just a, a feeling out process, and definitely a fantastic fight on the card. And of course, let's go into the main event, which was a uh, five five round main event with Shogun and Dan Henderson. And edge of your seat, balls to the wall, just chaos from start to finish. It was. And, you know, um, Dan, I almost said Anderson, Anderson Silva, but, um, Dan Henderson came in and just super aggressive caught Shogun at one point with the patented H bomb Shogun ate it like a champ came back and just incredible striking back and forth. Both guys knocked each other down. Both guys had really, really close instances where they were on the verge of finishing the fight. It was as exciting as exciting could be. Both guys delivered in what is sure to be one of the best fights of 2011 and there have been a lot of great ones but this fight everybody that I know that was on Twitter people that I know that I were on Facebook even some casual MMA fans that checked out the card they were like that was the most amazing display of athleticism from two warriors that they've ever seen Dan Henderson Shogun it was to the point where they looked exhausted they were really 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 on fumes and then they just turned it up in the later rounds, and it was just amazing to see. If you haven't seen this fight, you're doing yourself a serious disservice. Look for it on YouTube, reorder the pay-per-view, find a way to watch it, because it is the fight that makes new MMA fans. It was fantastic from start to finish, 
it's a great setup leading into the final card of 2011 with Lesnar and Overeem. I was, like I said, super pumped with, with this past UFC card and hopefully we'll go out on a high note with Lesnar and Overeem and we can start the 2012 MMA season. Moving into the Strike Force Challenger side of things, I really am losing my voice. I apologize if I sound fucking terrible. Um, I want to just pluck out a couple of fights from here. Um, Julia Budd and Ronda Rousey was insane for a couple of reasons. Uh, Ronda Rousey's a, a up and coming female fighter at 146 at at 146. Well, at the in, at 145, I should say she weighed in at 146, and serious judo practitioner ridiculous submissions she secured her victory with an insane arm bar which you can find the replay on youtube i probably will post a video on the fan page later this evening her her transitions to submissions are ridiculous and right now a lot of people are already looking at a potential match with chris cyborg santos i think ronda rousey has a a, a promising career ahead of her she has great submissions She's marketable, easy on the eyes, and just a great asset to the women's division. Right now, of course, you have um, some shit talking on Twitter between her and Tara LaRosa, her and Misha Tate, which is good. Generates interest in women's MMA, and of course, makes people excited to see uh, Ronda fight either one of these talented ladies. So, um, great showing on the women's MMA side of things. Antoine Britt and Lamumba Sayers was your main event. I was shocked at the outcome. Uh, Lamumba Sayers secured his victory via KO with a ridiculous uppercut. 28 seconds in round one. Just a fantastic, fantastic way to close out Strikeforce Challengers. Um, great performances. Antoine Britt is a, is a solid dude. First fight, I believe, at 185. And he just got caught, man. Lamumba Sayers handled his business with a vicious KO. So props to them and props to Strikeforce for another solid Challengers event. Uh, Fedor also fought this weekend. There's nothing much more to say than Fedor fought, Fedor won. Uh, he ended up winning via decision against Jeff the Snowman Monson. Fedor's management company right now is trying to give UFC the business to see if they can get a fight with Fedor and Cain um, Velasquez in Russia. Dana White is pretty much telling them to go fuck themselves. But who knows what can happen, but we may see Fedor in the UFC, so keep an eye out for that in the coming weeks. We'll see how it pans out. In some other MMA news, the Nevada State Athletic Commission reported that UFC 143 is scheduled for February 4th at the Mandalay Bay Event Center in Vegas. George St. Pierre will be meeting Nick Diaz for the welterweight title. Um, Eric Koch, Dustin Poirier, Alex Caceres, and Edwin Figueroa have been confirmed for that card. There's also a rumor that Carlos Condit will be meeting Josh Koscheck as well. It's not confirmed yet, but we shall see what happens. We also had Bellator this past weekend. It was just a fantastic weekend of MMA. Hector Lombard ended up uh, having another great highlight reel performance against Trevor Prangley via TKO was his victory. Michael Chandler upset Eddie Alvarez to win the Bellator lightweight title uh, via submission in round four in what is definitely another candidate for fight of the year. It's it's A lot of people are saying it's right up there with Hendo and Shogun. That's up for debate, but it was just a fantastic performance by both. Michael Chandler came out, handled his business, and secured the victory via submission in round four. 
Eddie Alvarez, though, is, is the man, and I'm sure he'll come back from this stronger and better than he was going into this tournament. Some bonuses were handed out post-fight UFC 139. Fight of the night went to Henderson and Shogun and Kung Lee and Vanderlei. Uriah Faber got submission of the night and Michael McDonald got knockout of the night. During the post-fight press conference as well, Dana White elaborated on a couple of things, including the UFC's next show on Fox, which is set to run two hours and feature four fights. In addition to that, Dana said that Dan Henderson will probably not be doing a rematch with Shogun at this point. He seems to be in contention either for the 185-pound the one hundred or 205-pound titles. Dana White went on to say that the guy's pretty much talented enough that he can go and do both if he chooses. Honestly, I think Henderson will probably want to stick to 205. He'd probably only drop to 185 if it was a guaranteed fight against Anderson Silva, which is fine. Either way, Henderson is a threat in either weight class, so we'll see how it pans out. I would like to see Hendo fight at 205. I think him and John Jones can have a very interesting match. Um, dropping to 185 against Anderson Silva, who knows how that can go, especially with the way Henderson's been performing. Dana White also discussed a lot of the negative feedback that he's been getting regarding Velasquez and Dos Santos. He went on to say that there was um, a certain a certain reasoning involved for doing things the way they did and he explained it <clears throat> excuse me and with that I, I i actually understood what dana white was saying he would you know going on network television you don't want to go and shock the casual audience with a bloodbath at the start of, at the start of the card so you know he's happy with the way things went and i understand the logic that went into it i still feel that guida and henderson would have been a great fight to have but Jumping back in the time machine, Dana White says he wouldn't do it any other way. So, who who am I to argue? The Ultimate Fighter started setting up the Ultimate Fighter for Brazil with tryouts for middleweight and lightweight fighters. That's going to be happening December 14th in Sao Paulo. As of right now, they're going to do 12 taped episodes and a live finale. It's, a, it's being rumored that Fuel TV will air that season. Um, stateside, coaches haven't been confirmed yet. But both are going to be Brazilian, and the entire season will be filmed in Portuguese. So, make of that what you will. This weekend, we got Bellator 59 on MTV2. Eric Prindle and Tiago Santos in your heavyweight tournament finale. Um, Eduardo Dantes and Alexis Villa, bantamweight tournament finale. Uh, Pit, uh, Patricky Pitbull Foray and Kurt Pellegrino will be fighting also. Michael Costa will be meeting Lyman Good. That's on MTV2, probably at 9 o'clock this Saturday. Check it out. Like I said, Bellator, great organization, awesome fights, and a lot of just undiscovered talent that needs to be checked out. On the prelims, you can watch those on Spike.com. Marcin Held will be taking on Felipe Nover. Levon Maynard is going to be taking on Chris Wing. Uh, Carl Amasu is going to be taking on Jesus Martinez. Scott Heckman is going to be taking on Braylon Van Arts-Dalen. Gregory Millard and Brandon Saling will also be meeting. You can watch that on Spike.com. That's going to wrap up the MMA. I'm going to head right into wrestling because there's a lot of stuff to discuss. I want to go into Survivor Series. Got to talk a little bit about Monday Night Raw. Got to talk about Matt Hardy because he done fucked up again. We got to talk about the truth getting got. And we also got to talk about the potential departure of John Morrison. So let's not waste any time.
All right, Survivor Series, historic for a multitude of reasons. Of course, it was the 25th Survivor Series, the return of The Rock, the setup for WrestleMania, a packed crowd at New York City's very own Madison Square Garden in the Big Apple. Let's get right into it. I'm not going to go through the entire card. I just want to pluck a couple of high points and give you guys my commentary on it. The U.S. title match with Dolph Ziggler and John Morrison was a solid opener. John Morrison came out on the losing end i think this is going to be a trend with john morrison and i'll get into that later on in the segment very enjoyable very enjoyable match from both guys though once again continuing to reinforce the fact that these young guys have given the right amount of time the right push can do tremendous things dolph ziggler is an incredible talent he's grown a lot in the last few years he's come a long way from his days in the spirit squad john morrison always solid it's just that since he's currently in the doghouse and there's you know just a lot of things with regards to his promo ability also he's he's very tough to get behind and frankly at this point he either needs to step away and do something new maybe a heel turn do something different or maybe he needs to leave the organization we'll talk about that later on in the segment the lumberjill match for the divas championship was surprisingly not 100% of a clusterfuck as I expected. Beth Phoenix and Eve Torres had a very competitive match, with Beth Phoenix securing the victory via top rope glam slam, which was actually a nice way to close it out. Eve Torres looked a little bit more improved. She had a little bit of a... She had a bit more of an improvement with regards to her offense. I am tired of the fucking booty popping every couple of minutes. If I wanted to see that, I'd go to scores... I really don't give a shit. You're not a Nick City dancer or any any sort of cheerleader to be doing that shit. Just go in there and wrestle, especially because your wrestling is kind of shitty. Go in there, do that. Worry less about shaking your ass and more about not making your matches look like a train wreck. Simple as that. Rock comes out, of course. Cuts a, a nice, passionate promo to get the fan ready to rock and roll. It was It was crazy. It was very passionate. But like anything else... It was just a, a, I don't even want to say a magical evening for the WWE. It was just a, a bit of nostalgia that really helped sell the card. And The Rock is always going to be The Rock, even though, like I've said before, his references feel a bit dated. He he always goes out and delivers on the main stage. So the opening promo from him was fantastic. I got to give credit where credit is due. But, of course, what followed was the traditional Survivor Series elimination match. You had Team Orton with Randy Orton, Sheamus, Kofi, Mason Ryan, and Sin Cara against Team Barrett, which, of course, Wade Barrett, Cody Rhodes, Mr. Ziggles, Dolph Ziggler, Jack Swagger, and Unico. Um, this match, there was a bit of a love-hate relationship with this match. I think that the, the pacing of the match was good. And it hid the flaws of guys like Mason Ryan and even Sin Cara to an extent. And I say to an extent because what did that dude do? Botched jumping out of the ring, tore his patella out six to nine months. So 
basically the Sincara gimmick has been a complete curse, even for Unico, because all that all that build up for him to lose his mask to come out dressed up as a Mexican day laborer. It's like from instead of saying that he's from Mexico, he they should just say hailing from Home Depot. Unico, because seriously, who comes out in Dickies in a Dickies uniform to wrestle? Unless you're Conan, that shit ain't cool. But it's not it's not his fault that he's stuck in in the landscaper gimmick. It's just the gimmick that was given to him, and you know what? The guy wants to be on TV and he needs to get paid, so fuck it. But taking him seriously is tough. I mean, I like I like one thing that uh and I gotta give props to to Andrew. Andrew references Unico as buried every time that he shows a picture of him. And it's really sad because the guy seems to have really great talent. When he was wrestling as Sin Cara Negro or Black Sin Cara, for those of you who are not versed in Spanish, I think that he had better offense than regular Sin Cara. And frankly, he wasn't botching every fucking move every week. So I think that... Unico's in that really, really weird period where he's saddled with a shitty gimmick and hopefully his wrestling and hopefully his promo ability can help him get out of that rut. Otherwise, he's just going to be mid-card fodder for everybody else. The match itself was, in my opinion, a coming-out party for Wade Barrett and for Cody Rhodes since both of those guys survived. Not only that, but Randy Orton ate the pinfall via Wasteland and... Obviously, this opens up a feud with Wade Barrett on SmackDown. I think Wade Barrett is finally starting to hit his stride. I think that people are looking past the whole Nexus NXT gimmick, and he's really starting to solidify himself as a heel. I think his program with Sheamus was a little bit short-lived. I think that a feud with Sheamus was the way to go, especially now with Christian on the shelf, but it looks like he's going to be feuding with Orton, and Cody Rhodes will be feuding with Booker T, who will be doing one last run before retiring. For a traditional Survivor Series match, like I said, it was okay. Mark Henry and the Big Show was exactly what all their other matches have been, which is pretty much punch, kick, punch, big guy offense A versus big guy offense B. The only impressive spot of the evening was a top rope flying elbow drop from the Big Show a la Randy Savage, which was pretty cool. Mark Henry ended up keeping the title after using the Greco-Roman nut shot to secure his victory. And, of course, Big Show wins via DQ, but he keeps the belt. So, Mark Henry was the winner in that one. Alberto Del Rio and CM Punk was pretty much the equivalent of every match they've had. I think that on the bigger stage, there was a lot more of a crowd response for CM Punk, which was great. And the crowd ended up enjoying this match more than I thought they would have, especially considering that Del Rio just has zero connection with the audience. I don't give a fuck that Ricky Ricardo comes out in his fancy car and does his thing. It's it's really just, he's boring. He's a fucking dullard. And his accent just is not helping him. It's unfortunate, but he's just, you know CM Punk, you're the perro. You had a cockroach. It's like, all right, fucking Ricardo Montalban, do something with your accent or get your shit together. Otherwise, get the fuck off my TV. And it's unfortunate because the guy came with such huge fanfare from Mexico, but he just, he doesn't connect. He he just doesn't connect with the audience. I don't know why, but it's just not, 
the way you would think for a guy who's held the belt, what, twice now? Nobody gives a fuck about him or his frog-faced announcer. They could give two shits about either guy. Of course, we get the tag match, John Cena and The Rock. Um, a lot, Pretty much, John Cena played the face in distress at a lot of points. And then, of course, the hot tag for The Rock. Rock came in, handled his business, put an ass-whooping on everybody. We got to see all the typical trademarks, Rocky spots, the spit punch, the spine buster. We got to see the really bullshit-ass sharpshooter that he does. We got to see a people's elbow and a rock bottom. Funny thing was, the people's elbow actually secured the pinfall on The Miz. The Miz was the recipient of the people's elbow. The Rock wins. Of course, John Cena and The Rock have their little exchange. And John Cena eats a rock bottom to send everybody home happy. The New York crowd, like I said, was electric. It was a huge factor in the enjoyment of this card. And I got to give credit where credit is due. I really felt that Survivor Series was a solid pay-per-view going into and building up for WrestleMania. Should they have done things better? In some respects, but I think overall, if I had to grade the pay-per-view, honestly, I'd say it was a B plus. Simple as that. And with that, let's go right into Monday Night Raw. Of course, no rock, nowhere. Um, John Laurinaitis, who I can... I, I really cannot fucking stand him. I understand that he's supposed to be a heel GM, and that's fine, and you're supposed to hate him on that principle, but I just hate him because he doesn't bring anything to the ta- to the table, and he sucks all the energy out of the room. It's to the point where he comes out, he cuts his piece of shit promo, and I just fast forward. Or I just pause it long enough for me to go and take a shit and come back, and hopefully he's done. I'm tired of him. It- it's absurd. It's like... Find another GM because he fucking sucks. And of course, the Zack Ryder chants are prevalent and carried over from Survivor Series right into Monday Night Raw. I don't understand what WWE is trying to prove by not putting Zack Ryder on television. The crowd is behind him. He's selling a ton of merchandise. He's He's got a catchy phrase. His promo ability is good. He's a little comical, but not comical to the point where he looks like a complete asshat like Santino. But I feel that if WWE doesn't jump on it and handle its business with getting Zack Ryder more TV time, they're going to lose the boat. And when they finally do start putting Ryder in title matches and doing special things with him, the luster's going to be gone, much like TNA did with Samoa Joe. And it didn't help that the opening match was Alberto Del Rio against Zack Ryder, and Zack Ryder pretty much got jobbed out to fucking Alberto Del Taco. Seriously, I understand that he's coming off his Survivor Series loss and he's mad, but you guys really treated Zack Ryder like a fucking jobber to open up Raw. Sheamus and Jack Swagger was a surprisingly good match, not completely terrible, but I don't know what the deal is with Jack Swagger. He just He's another guy that's missing something. I thought it was Vicky Guerrero as the mouthpiece, but she detracts from it a little bit because people just hate Vicky Guerrero. So, competing against Sheamus, who's actually gotten over quite well as a face, does nothing for Swagger, and at the end of the day, just makes Sheamus look better. Kevin Nash comes out, cuts his fucking snooze fest of a promo, blah, 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 I'm sure him and Triple H will meet at some point. Cody Rhodes killed Santino dead. 
does a little exchange with Booker T, but the highlight match of the night was CM Punk and Dolph Ziggler. I have to say that was one of the best televised matches I've seen in recent memory. I actually noted it on the fan page that you give these guys with great talent just plenty of time and not too much of an overhyped buildup, but just plenty of time to do what people are tuning in for, which is wrestling, you will get to see the best out of them. And I was super impressed. It was a great performance by both guys. These guys are the future of this business, and the quicker WWE realizes it, the better it'll be for the brands overall. I understand that you've got to build your brands around John Cena and Randy Orton because they're household names, Triple H to a degree, Kevin Nash, The Rock... But like I said, you got so much great homegrown talent that can do so well. Daniel Bryan is a great example. I actually saw the spoilers for SmackDown. I'm not going to spoil them because they do something really good. And hopefully they do the right thing down the road with it. But I'm not going to spoil it. I will say that if you are home and you aren't in a turkey coma or exhausted from Black Friday, do yourselves a favor. Check out SmackDown this week. It's not a complete clusterfuck. So you may even enjoy how things pan out. We'll discuss that next week. Let's get into some regular wrestling news. Our good old buddy Matt Hardy. Last time we checked, Matt Hardy was sent to WWE-sponsored rehab. And we thought that he was doing well, other than posting naked pictures of himself with his girl, which Andrew can vouch for, um, and he's in the chat. He seemed to have been on the up and up. Boy, were we fucking wrong. What does Matt Hardy do? Test positive on a breathalyzer which resulted in him being kicked right the fuck out of rehab and thrown in jail with a $1 million bond. What happens now with Matt Hardy? Who knows, but I know that Rebby Sky, his girlfriend, said on Twitter pretty much that she is leaving him in there. And that's pretty much it. Matt Hardy fucked up. The excuse that he used was that he used mouthwash, and that's why he failed the breathalyzer test. For you to fail a breathalyzer test on mouthwash... You better have drank the whole fucking bottle. Clearly, this is a step backwards for Matt Hardy. The dude needs fucking help. I don't know what the hell they're going to do with him. It's fucked up. It's like, dude, you're in rehab for, for drug and alcohol problems, and you still fuck up about it. You still fuck up, and nobody's going to give a shit about you. What are you doing? It's insane. You got to drink a huge bottle of mouthwash to end up failing a breathalyzer. And if that was the case, you should have said, hey, I drank mouthwash and it, it may give a false positive, but not after the fact, blame the breath a lot, blame the mouthwash for your fuck up. It's ridiculous. CM Punk recently did an interview with the Daily News here in New York City, and I just wanted to reference a couple of things because CM Punk seems to not be a fan of The Rock, and he was very vocal about it in the Daily, in the daily News this past week one of the things when asked about the rocks return to the ring he said you know about that he said you know the funny thing about that he's not around he's never around he said it doesn't help morale when the guy goes right from his limo to the dressing room from the dressing room to the ring he's a very he's very bourgeois hollywood when asked about the rocks scattered appearances he says he came back he did raw After that, he said he was never going to leave, and the next time we saw him was a month later. Yeah, it does bother me. A little hello would have been nice. He could have run by with his own entourage. When asked about the differences between Rock and and Cena, CM Punk went on to say, I have my own beef with John Cena, and I have my things that I don't like, 
But you know what? I try to tell him every day. For The Rock to criticize, come on, it's 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 silly. I think that CM Punk does have a bit of a point, but the problem is that The Rock, in the big scheme of in the grand scheme of things, his his appearances on pay per views help wrestlers because the more people that buy a pay per view, the higher the buy rate, which dictates what wrestlers are going to get paid on the pay per view card. This is this is something that I've heard is is the case. I could be wrong. But as far as I know, the the larger the pay-per-view gate, the better for all the performers on the card. This is why on WrestleMania cards, they do all these multi-man battle royals and etc. to get all these people on the card so that they could get a payday. <coughs> Excuse me. CM Punk, his, 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 his opinions are valid, but in the grand scheme of things, I understand why The Rock, in his scattered appearances, is beneficial for the business. Who knows, maybe it could be all um, storyline and maybe CM Punk is fishing for an interaction with The Rock. Who knows, but I, t- I will tell you this, that if The Rock and CM Punk had an exchange, it would be an epic night for sure. So hopefully WWE keeps that in mind and tries to set something up with them down the road. Last two bit of wrestling news to close things up. Ron Killings is suspended for 30 days for his first violation of the WWE wellness policy. It's been rumored and it's been said on a couple of sites when Evan Bourne got suspended, he was suspended for smoking a synthetic marijuana known as Spice, I believe. And it was rumored that he was smoking it with someone who was a a participant in the Survivor Series main event. Now, the funny thing about that is, obviously, it wasn't The Rock, could have been, or John Cena or The Miz. So it's very convenient that Right after Raw ends and they split up Miz and Truth, that Truth gets suspended. Which, to me, is just fucked up for a couple of reasons. You break up Truth and Miz, which is fine, whatever, but you're getting suspended for smoking weed. It's not to say that that these guys shouldn't be smoking or should be smoking, but these guys are in the upper mid card. They should know that if somebody snitches you out they're going to have to put you on front street and make an example out of you. And clearly Evan Bourne in his commentary that he's put out there and in, in various websites, how true it is or not. I, I couldn't tell you, but even if he did say, Hey, you know, there's guys that are higher up on the card than me that were smoking weed that night. Why aren't they suspended? That alone raises a lot of questions and it makes people wonder who could it have been, especially when he says somebody higher up on the card, when you consider higher up on the card, it's either Orton, who they've said is a pothead, John Cena, and at this point, Miz and R-Truth, or it's not CM Punk because he has you know the straight-edge lifestyle, so it's, it's crazy. What happens with Ron Killings when he comes back? Do they make him a face? Does he feud with the Miz? Will people even give a fuck? We'll find out in 30 days. Last but not least, on the wrestling side, according to the PW Insider, John Morrison is scheduled to finish up with WWE on this week's Raw tapings. Allegedly, there's a lot of of rumors going around that TNA is interested in him, and they'd like to bring him in with Melina. They're saying that they'd like to build the X Division around him and possibly have him feud with Austin Aries. A couple of situations come from that. If Morrison does go to TNA, he'd have to use a completely different ring name since WWE owns the rights to the John Morrison name and gimmick. Can he use Johnny Nitro? 
Who knows? Especially because Nitro is owned by by WWE as well. It's a very it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with John Morrison this week. Does he go out on the on a, on the losing front? Does he sign an extension? I couldn't tell you, but I will tell you this: if he does go to TNA, he he might he might be successful. I just feel that if you're taking him to TNA and bringing in Molina as a package deal. That may do more harm than good in some respects only because you're taking him and his baggage to TNA and that may cause the same amount of grief it caused in the WWE. We'll see what happens on this week's Raw and we'll see if we see John Morrison right after that. If we see him the following Raw, he may have signed an extension. If they use an injury angle or some other lame angle to write him off, then... We know where he's going, and we'll probably see him in TNA in 90 days. That's going to close out the wrestling segment for this week. Let's get right into the video games. Seems that a lot of guys have beef with Activision because the Call of Duty Elite service is still not completely functional. Activision has said that they plan on having Call of Duty Elite fully functional by December 1st. Activision's Vice President of Production, Daniel Suarez, told G4 that the service will be fully operational by the beginning of December. He stated the following, It was our fault that the service wasn't up and running the day the fans put in their token or the day they bought it. They kind of have to bear with us while we're while we bring this all back up, but for us it's literally give us those couple of weeks. We're giving those of you we're giving those to you for free and come December 1st the goal is that we'll have everything up and running. He added, "When we ran our beta, it was strictly on the PC and a lot of assumptions were based around that idea that a large majority of users were going to use the PC since it's a more robust version of the service than the console app." So far, the problems that users have experienced are signing into the online game, which launched with Modern Warfare earlier this month. Amongst other problems is the just the incomplete look of the service as a whole. I understand the frustration for a lot of Call of Duty players with that, and you know they have a right to be pissed. I think that hopefully December first, Activision will get their shit together and give you guys an awesome experience on Call of Duty Elite. If they don't. I'm sure you guys will be able to do what some of the people did with Battlefield, which I'll discuss later in the segment. Mass Effect 3 fans will be able to pick up the Mass Effect 3 Collector's Edition, which was revealed by GameStop. It's going to run you $80 when the game drops March 6th, and you're going to get the following items. You're going to get a premium metal case with either with a male and a female Commander Shepard. You're going to get a 70-page hardbound art book. You're going to get a limited edition Mass Effect comic from Dark Horse, you're going to get a Fabric N7 patch, you're also getting a 4x6 lithograph print of the SR2 Alliance Normandy, you're going to get some in-game content including the N7 Arsenal pack, which will give you the N7 sniper rifle, shotgun, SMG, and pistol. You're also going to get a squad alternate appearance pack, and a robotic dog for onboard, for use onboard the Normandy. Lastly, you'll get the Mass Effect 3 digital soundtrack. In some other limited edition news, Take-Two has announced that Max Payne 3 will be getting a limited edition as well. 
You'll be able to pre-order that between now and January 15th for $100. It will come with a 10-inch tall Max Payne statue made by our friends at Triforce. You're also going to get a bullet-shaped keychain that has a back piece that can be unattached. You're also going to get some multiplayer characters, weapons, and the soundtrack as well. As I mentioned earlier with Activision, it seems that EA also scrapped an original idea with with their new release title, which is Battlefield. They were originally supposed to include a free copy of Battlefield 1943 with every copy of Battlefield that was sold on the PS3. Instead, they didn't. What What that has led to is now a class action lawsuit from PlayStation 3 owners. EA originally offered early access to Battlefield 3 DLC in order to make it up to PS3 owners, but it seems that that wasn't enough. The firm that represents those involved in the lawsuit, Edelson and McGuire, is not seeking any to any monetary compensation. They just want free copies of Battlefield 1943. I have a couple of issues with this. Number one, you're actually creating a court case for a fucking pre-order game? You're actually going to muck up the legal system, which needs to try killers, rapists, child molesters, tax evaders, and other criminals to make a judge award you a free copy of an old game. Are you serious, bro? It, it, It really boggles my fucking mind that the gaming community would come together to bitch about the fact that they didn't get a free fucking game. Why don't you guys bitch about the fact that publishing companies are are working with Congress to outlaw you know certain types of content that are going to be on the web. In other words, if you know copyright infringement from YouTube videos capturing gameplay. Why don't you guys stand up and advocate about that? Seriously, you're going to muck up the legal system because you couldn't get your free copy of Battlefield 1943. That is some real sad shit. And the lawyer that took this case must really be either hungry for money, a fucking ambulance chaser, or a first-year attorney. Because who would honestly do that? Who gives a flying fuck if you didn't get your DLC free game? They're probably going to give you the other Battlefield 3 DLC anyway. That's not enough? Oh no, we want our old-ass Battlefield game because that's what we pre-ordered. Seriously, it's the priorities of some gamers are fucking skewed. Because that really is not a priority. And to muck up the legal system with that is just embarrassing. Major Nelson announced that the next Xbox 360 dashboard update will be launching December 6th. That's going to include beacons, cloud storage, Bing search, and more. You're going to get customized applications for television, movies, internet, video, sports, and music. I can share with you guys that I am actually beta testing the brand new dashboard update. I got the opportunity to watch some UFC content on the UFC exclusive Xbox Live application, which is very, very, very nice. I'm sure that a lot of you are are going to really not like the way the dashboard is laid out now because it's very Kinect-centric, but some of the opportunities and some of the things that are going to be afforded for Xbox Live subscribers are definitely very nice. The Xbox Live beacon system in particular is pretty cool. It allows you to actually set up a beacon, which is pretty much you making an appointment to play a game with your friends. 
and it ties into your social networking accounts. So let's say I want to do a community game night and Slick is going to be involved, Dark Helmet, and a couple of other guys, and I send them a beacon invite. That'll pop up on their fan page and let them know, hey, at 9 o'clock tonight, we're going to be playing Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3. So the funny thing about it is that the layout is it, it definitely takes some adjusting. I don't really know how much of a gag order I have with regards to it, so I don't want to go and post pictures on the site. I thought I'd get in trouble for posting the Xbox Live UFC dashboard, but so far nobody said anything. But I really would love to show you guys the dashboard. Maybe I'll record a video because you guys really need to see it before it comes out because you can see how the layout works. We'll see what happens. If I get in trouble, then it is what it is. But you guys deserve to see it because there's so many changes and it's such a huge departure from what you guys are used to. I do like the addition of apps that are going to be added. Hopefully, they're apps that people actually can use. Netflix is good. Hulu Plus is fine. But we'd like to see, you know, maybe some other music services would be cool. Maybe something like Spotify or I mean, I know that they want to kind of build everything around the whole Zune thing, but nobody really gives a fuck about it. I know they got Last FM on there, which is great, but I don't know. I think that the applications are something that are going to have love-hate relationships with a lot of gamers. I do like the cloud storage. I think that's going to be something that's going to be, especially with the moderate size of the hard drives on Xbox 360s and the fact that they're proprietary, I think that the cloud saves will definitely entice a lot of gamers to use it only because they can't get 500 gig hard drives yet for the Xbox 360. I'm sure that'll change, but we'll see what happens this weekend. Maybe you guys will get a video of an Xbox 360 dashboard. We shall see. Don't hold me to it though, but I will try. Last but not least for the gaming segment, to wrap things up, Jack and Daxter will be getting a collected edition on the PS3. It's going to include the original trilogy, which is going to be in 3D, include trophies, and be in 720p HD. You'll be able to pick that up in February on the PS3. So Jack and Daxter fans will be able to pick up that collection for their PS3 in 2012. All right, that's going to wrap up the game segment. We are going to go right into the movies, no commercials. I figure that we are doing a sprint this week, so we might as well finish up strong. Let's get right into it. Why so serious? He comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? He sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And why so serious? All right, let's open up the movies with our buddy The Rock, who is set to star in a new movie called The Monster Hunter's Survival Guide. According to Deadline, The Rock will be portraying the lead in this film, which is based on a John Paul Russ comic book. Zenoscope, which is the publisher of the series, dropped a synopsis about the book which gives us a little bit of insight into what we can expect. Monsters surround us. They're everywhere on TV and movies. They haunt our nightmares. But are they real? Do vampires, werewolves, and zombies really exist? And if so, how can we survive against them? At last, here is the comprehensive guide every monster hunter must have. 
Whether you're a weekend Bigfoot hunter or a hardcore vampire slayer, you simply cannot afford to not you can simply can't afford to not own this book. Obviously, I think this is following the same uh, layout like the Max Brooks zombie handbook, but obviously with the rock involved, you can expect to see a lot of action, a lot of shit getting killed, and I'm sure some solid box office numbers. If I get my hands on the comic, I'll share it with you guys and let you know my thoughts, which leads me to something else I wanted to discuss regarding comics. I am working on doing something with the DC 52 relaunch, and you should be on the lookout for that this weekend as well. Moving on into some box office totals, obviously Shiny Vampires dominated the box office this week with Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 scoring $139.5 million, beating out The Dancing Penguins of Happy Feet 2, which made $22 million, Immortals, which made 12.3, Jack and Jill, which made $12 million, Puss in Boots, which made 10.7, Tower Heist, which is still up there at number 6, J. Edgar at number 7, Harold and Kumar's 3D Christmas was number 8, In Time was number 9, and The Descendants was 10. I'm sure that the Twilight Saga will continue to dominate for the remainder of the weekend, so expect more ridiculous Twilight numbers next week. Now let's get into the What the Fuck Movie News slash whitewashing anime segment. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Warner Brothers is quickly rushing to complete the casting for the live-action adaptation of Akira, as of right now, they are casting for the role of Tetsuo, which we all know as Kaneda's psychic friend. Right now, I'm sure you guys are going to love some of the people that are being considered for the role of Tetsuo. DJ Katrona, who you may know from Detroit 187 and G.I. Joe 2 Retaliation, which isn't even out yet. Logan Marshall Green, who was in Devil and in the upcoming Prometheus. Toby Kebbell, who was in Rock and Rolla and Warhorse. Richard Madden, who plays Rob Stark in Game of Thrones. Rami Malek, who was in The Pacific, and Michael Pitt from Boardwalk Empire. In some other casting news, they actually cast someone who's Asian. Ken Watanabe has been offered the role of the Colonel in Akira. Twitch Film reports that originally the studio's first choice, Gary Oldman, passed on the role and they moved to Watanabe instead. As of right now, Kristen Stewart and Garrett Hedlund are reportedly set for the lead roles. They're going to be setting this film in New Manhattan instead of Neo-Tokyo, and production is set to begin in early 2012. They've been saying that Paul Dano and Alden Ehrenreich from Tetro are also retesting for roles in the film as well. So, very interesting what's going on with the whitewashed Akira films. With the casting choices they got so far, I'm sure it's going to be super solid. It's going to be box office gold. And as sad as it is, this is the last bit of movie news for this week's episode. The Hollywood Reporter is reporting that Sci-Fi is going to be ordering a pilot for the DC Comics character Booster Gold. Booster Gold was created by Dan Jurgens in 1986, and he is the superhero identity of Michael John Carter, who is a resident of the 25th century who traveled back in time to the present-day DC Universe. Booster Gold uses his futuristic technology to become a hero, at which point, obviously, that leads to the what I'm sure will be many episodes of the series. 
Booster Gold has already been seen on television in the final season of Smallville. He was played by Eric Martsolf. As of right now, Andrew Kreisberg, who did Fringe, will be scripting the pilot. And there's no word yet if the Booster Gold from this series will have any connection to the one that appeared in Smallville. I've just been informed that Slick is on line one. Let me bring him in real quick. See what he has to add to the conversation. Slick, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? Not much. What was that? Booster Gold, really? Yeah, but for the Sci-Fi Channel, so we can we can pretty much rest assured that it's not going to be awesome in the least, and it's fucking Sci-Fi. What are Sci-Fi has like maybe three or four original shows, two of which are decent. So I'm like, they already failed the Wonder Woman, like one, is one of the top three members of the Justice League, and they're gonna have a Booster Gold, who's like the Gopher of the Justice League. It's like, this guy is taking less seriously than Plastic Man. Shit, I'd rather see a live-action TV series based on fucking Plastic Man than see one based on Booster Gold. You can at least have a little fun with that. I remember watching the Plastic Man cartoon when I was a kid. You know, you can ha- you can have a lot of fun with it, do something light-hearted that people will enjoy, and maybe throw a couple of cameos in there from certain heroes for fun. I think that the problem is that the fascination with superheroes and getting so many different properties on TV and in and in theaters is oversaturating the market. And now they're just grasping at straws to get certain characters that nobody really gives a fuck about. It's like they're trying to, to grab at characters that nobody's seen on TV before or they haven't seen in a long time. And it's like just some of these picks are just awful. Yeah, like, of all the people, Booster Gold. I mean, if you want to take somebody who's been on Smallville, they could have gone with the Blue Beetle. The Blue Beetle might have been an interesting concept. I would have I would have probably checked that out. Definitely not Aquaman, though. Fuck that guy. <laughs> wait, wait, but you know what? You know what? Hold on. Let me, let me retract that, and, and, and I'm going to play a little bit of spoiler. When when DC relaunched all the Aquaman books, I had the, the pleasure of reading Aquaman number one. And I'm glad you called in because I want to share this with you. The Pretty much, Aquaman opens up with a robbery in progress. Guys are driving away in a getaway van, and Aquaman hears the sirens and comes in to save the day. So, you know... The robbers are like, yo, who's that after us? And they're like, it's Aquaman. And he's like, they're like, ah, you know, fuck that guy. He ain't shit. So they just keep driving. And of course he stops them and he gives the criminals to the cops. And the cops are like, man, I think we should tell them that the criminals were given to us by Superman. Because if we go and we tell them that we got an assist from Aquaman, they're going to laugh at us. So, exactly. But the best part of the book is that Aquaman, still in his, you know, superhero uniform, walks into a seafood restaurant and proceeds to order fish and chips. I kid you not. So everybody's like, oh, my God, how are you ordering fish and chips? And he's like, because I'm hungry. And they're like, but don't you talk to fish? He's like, no, I don't talk to fish. So while he's eating, while he's eating his food, um, a blogger comes up because, you know, you got to keep everything you know, super modern. And he's like, Hey, I got a couple of questions for my blog. Do you mind answering them? 
And he's like, you know, I'm just trying to enjoy my meal. And he's like, what's the deal, man? Why do you, why does everybody dislike you? Why are you the hero nobody wants to be saved by? And Aquaman's like, yo, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, you're a fucking joke. Did you see the skit they did about you on Saturday Night Live? Like real, like really acknowledging the fact that he's a fucking clown. And I enjoyed that because it actually said that they were like, dude, nobody wants to be saved by you. That's pretty much what the blogger told him. And I, I, I felt that if you told Aquaman's story from that standpoint, you can do something very different. And it actually made me want to continue reading the book. Because, you know, the, the whole premise of the book is, what if you were a hero that nobody wanted? Like that. Nobody gave a shit about. Exactly. That's a, that's a true concept, dude. Like, they made fun of his orange shirt. Everything. It was great. I really enjoyed that. And I think that when you do that type of a spin on a hero and you paint him in a different light, it gives you something, uh, a different level of character development that you'll really give a fuck about. Like, who's going to give a shit about a guy who's from the 25th century and wears a costume that looks like the equivalent of a gold Pepsi can? What, what, you're like Pepsi Man from, from, from Fighting Vipers. It's, it's embarrassing. And also, it's a realistic thing because Aquaman comes from basically the bottom of the sea, where he's king. So it's like, oh, you're starting to get robot voice. You're getting robot voice. Hold on a minute. Let me mute you and bring you back on because you are seriously roboticized. All right, let's give Slick a minute. Let's try this shit again. All right, let's give it a shot, bro. Go ahead. How is it now? Not too bad. Go ahead. Keep talking. I was saying it's like he's cheating down there, and, you know, even it's, he's cool there because it's a different culture, or he's cool there because he's king. But that's his name, shit, buddy. Nope. We got nothing. All I heard was he's from underwater and he's king. <laughs> Alright, uh, just message me when you're good to go Well, while Slick gets his, his, his phone situation handled As I was saying, this whole, this whole thing with Booster Gold It's a character nobody gives a shit about As I've said before, I don't understand why DC will not pull the trigger On young Batman a young Batman TV series would be awesome. And I think it would be a great way to bridge the gap, especially after you do The Dark Knight Rises. If you wanted to do something different and you wanted to do something engaging, you would continue the Batman stories from The Dark Knight Rises or even from when he first became Batman if you wanted to go further back. Just because there's such a great wealth of storytelling there that it would allow people to see a different side of Batman that works. And in my, in my opinion, instead of plucking all these obscure superheroes and all these properties, start working on the core characters that people are actually interested in watching. I mean, if they were smart, they would try and do solid TV shows based on their core characters, with the exception of Wonder Woman, because clearly the vision that they had was completely fucked up. But... Do stuff with Batman. You can do stuff with Batman. You can do stuff with The Flash. 
You can even do stuff with the Teen Titans on the CW if you wanted to do something to get that young demographic. And it would be substantially better, I think, than doing something on the Sci-Fi Channel about Booster Gold. Seriously. There's so many other properties that you can do so much with. Let me see if Slick is ready to go. Let me bring him back in. Go ahead, brother. How's it now? That's better. All right. Yeah, I see what you're saying with um, DC trying to do live-action TV shows. They've you know, never really had great success other than Smallville, which I don't care what anybody says. After season two, that show was dog shit for eight years. Well, Smallville... Smallville. I have no idea how it even lasted. Well, Smallville fell into a really, really gray area, and in my opinion, Smallville was an experiment that went a lot longer than it should have. I think that they got really hung up on the fact that they had a solid show on their hands that people really were reacting to in a positive light, and they figured, fuck it, let's just beat a dead horse till it's dead, and we keep beating the the carcass after it's over. And that's what happened. Like, you got to a point where... I felt that season two was solid. You can even get past season three and the horse was already dead. Then they just kept continued to beat the horse with storylines that were severe, severe departures from the stuff we all know. Clearly, we can go into the Doomsday scenario. We can go into Dark Side, uh, General Zod, Brainiac. You know, they tried to pull so many different aspects of the Superman mythos and, and cram it in there. They even went as far as to pulling out Legion. Who gives a fuck about a bunch of twerps from the fucking future? Especially when they have no real bearing on Superman's stories. And then you do a, a, a poor man's Justice League with, with fucking Aquaman, Green Arrow, who actually ended up being one of the better characters that they introduced, and Cyborg. I'm surprised they haven't tried to make a series out of him. Green Arrow's probably the only other guy out of Smallville that you can make a series out of just because you can pretty much do a poor man's Batman. Because that's what Green Arrow... Green Arrow's just Robin Hood with money. He's the, he's pretty much Robin Hood that stole all the money and bought himself a Ferrari. That's what he is. And you can do something different with that if it's done right. But no, they're, they're going to do... Oh, let's do a show about Booster Gold. I mean, DC got their hands on a lot of projects, most of them animated, and usually the only time they really come up with anything decent is when it's animated. Well, the animated properties afford you a different type of liberty because you can dig into the books, and it's just a matter of drawing and, and, and applying the characters that we all know. When you go into live action, there's casting, there's character development, and it's a, re it's a real shame that animated cartoons have better plot development in 30 minutes than one-hour series do. It's a, it's an embarrassment in a lot of cases. Excuse me. Yeah, you got to deal with actors and all this stuff, but you still need writers. And the same people who write for the animated shows, you could have them write for the live-action shows and want to look at shows. No, I, I think I think that 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 would be a, a great solution. I just think that there's such an uh, an apprehension about the the animated medium. It's almost like unless you're Batman, Superman, 
Young Justice, the Justice League. Those are household names that you can build animated properties around. I honestly think that the 1989 Batman the Animated Series and, you know, the Batman Animated Series from the 90s was some of the best Batman storytelling seen on the small screen in recent memory. Absolutely. The storytelling was solid. We can even go into Batman Beyond. And we I, I honestly can say that even though Batman Beyond initially concerned me, the respect to the overall story and the character development of this new Batman made it a, a show that stood on its own. Not only that, but it ended up integrating into standard DC mythology. Yep. You know, and that... that, that that shows that you know, they didn't get to close out the show properly. They ended the series properly in Justice League. I mean, that's a testament to the show right there. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the best way to look at it. I think that when you look at shows like that, you see that the storytelling, if it, if it's done well and it connects with the audience, people will tune in. I think that that. Certain shows don't get their their just due. I think that a series needs at least 10 episodes to establish itself. If it can't get the shit right in 10 episodes, then pull the fucking plug. Seriously. Think well, no. The, see, what the Voltron show is 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 a very, very unique animal. And I don't even say it because they were on the show and and, you know, we discussed it. And you know what? Wherever the, our relationship went with them as a brand, the the Voltron show is is in that gray area where it wants to capture the existing audience, but it still wants to be a gateway for a younger generation. And I respect that. The only problem with that is that if you continuously hold your expectations high for that type of a show, you're 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 gonna end up hating it, and I've gotten to the point where I just watch it as a pastime for a couple of chuckles. I don't even expect it to be something that's revolutionary because it's not being marketed as such. It's taking something that that existed from our childhood and giving it to a new audience. Same thing with you know Transformers Prime, which was a great example of taking the movie property yet integrating it with the some of the existing mythology and creating something new. Some of the episodes weren't great. You and I both know that. But it, it established something different for, for a new generation. I think that taking some of these older cartoons and using them as a gateway for new viewers can be successful. But it only has to be successful from the standpoint where the core characters are the same. The storytelling is always going to be different. Thundercats is an exception because, you know, Thundercats is trying to be mature yet still be kid friendly like you want to gear thundercats towards the 10 year the 10 year olds and and higher because they have a firmer understanding of that type of storytelling and can respect some of the action that's done in a show like that i hear you but like what i was saying is they just really need to focus i don't care whether it's an animated show or live show before they work on getting you know, marketable faces for the show and costumes and all that shit, they have to get writers. And that's that's the big problem. I mean, you mentioned Batman anime series and Batman Beyond. One of the big reasons why the Batman Arkham video games have been so good is because you have the writers from 
the original animated series in the 90s. Those are the same people writing the story for the video game. This is true. Well, I got I got I got a I got a question for you. If you can go and dig into the depths of of live action superhero television, what do you feel has been the most the most entertaining live action show based on a superhero medium? Entertaining? Entertaining. It doesn't I'm not saying it has to be fucking great, but just something that you still watched every week because it was exactly that entertaining. That's the key word. I'd have to say the 70s Spider-Man show. Okay, fair enough. I think... It's because the the Spider-Man effects were so bad. <laughs> okay. That, that was very entertaining. Okay. I think if I had to pluck a, a live-action superhero show, I would definitely go with probably The Flash with John Wesley Shipp which was very well done it just wasn't given the it, it was released at a time when i when it was just destined for failure i can also pluck out of there the incredible hulk you know bill bixby was yeah, the fucking man those shows i love you know I just, like, just because you said entertaining that's why that was my answer but both of those shows were very well done there you go i think i think shows like that they they kept the medium alive i remember when they did an Incredible Hulk move a TV movie, and even Daredevil popped up. And sure, it didn't match comic book Daredevil to a T, and I believe even Thor popped up in that too, if I'm correct. And neither one of those were super accurate to their comic book counterparts, but it was just the fact that, holy shit, Daredevil's on my television and so's Thor. That's pretty fucking awesome. I think that that going back to that medium, and like I said, just capturing the, the core elements of it, but just giving them justice would help this shit be successful. Look at the Wonder Woman TV show. The first thing they did was, oh, here's the costume. Oh, look, it looks like complete garbage. Oh, well, you know what? We're going to change it back and do this. And at, th at that point, the damage had already been done. How about you don't release any pictures of the shit and you just put the show on the air and let the ratings speak for themselves? We driven. We live in a very spoiler-driven society. I've seen so many pictures of Batman... Um, you know, of the Dark Knight Rises at this point that I feel like I've seen the whole fucking movie. And don't get me wrong, it's great for reporting for the show and discussing with the audience, but you almost feel empty when you go to see the movie because there's no real surprise. And that's the same thing with television. Do you think that if they wouldn't have leaked the Wonder Woman costume, that the reaction would have been that vicious Probably they would have waited a, a couple of episodes before pulling the plug, if they were. But at least people would have got to see it in action. They would have at least had the chance to say, um, maybe if we get some good writing under under our belt, people will ignore the terrible costume, or like we could get a good writer that could somehow work into the story a change of costume. There you go. I mean, dude, I, I, I clown that costume as soon as I saw it. But that's because that was the impulse that you have when you see something like that. Well, I mean, they could have... I mean, you have characters in the Wonder Woman universe who have changed costume, other than just Wonder Woman. I mean, you could have went with, like, a Wonder Girl storyline who, like, she doesn't wear the actual Wonder Girl uh, costume because she feels she earned it. Yeah, that may... I mean, things like that. But see, you you and 
a couple of uh, of other listeners and 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 a couple of li- of fans that I know are in that in that majority of people who are knowledgeable enough to watch watch the shows intelligently while still noticing the flaws and i fall into that same i fall into that same audience as well the only problem is that when it's constantly being bombarded in front of you you're going to say to yourself all right this is going to be complete shit and you're not going to give it a chance and then you know the 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 writers and the cast are going to be bummed out that their product never saw the light of day because of all the negative press it got why don't you just put the shit out first like don't get me wrong the booster gold concept looks like shit but if it was well written and passable i'd still watch it just to give it a shot. The good show is a good show. Even if the character sucks. There you go. I mean, that's the thing that I'm saying. It's like, it seems like these writers, I, I'm not, I mean, I write, but I'm not any kind of a top list writer. I, I don't have any money. I'm not getting any money from what I write. And I'm like, you have a wealth of of um, information to draw from here. So, what's the first thing you need to, to do before you write? Read. Yep. Read, read, read the fucking source material. If you want to change it around and put your own spin on it, do it, brother. You gotta, you have a fan base for this material. You need to stay tuned with the sub degree. I mean, another thing, uh, another show that actually is doing well that is still bugging me right now is The Walking Dead. It's like, I, I, I've said it on Facebook recently because I'm almost done reading all the books that have come out. I really don't want the show to follow the comic because it's just too fucking depressing. It really is. Okay. But I mean, this season, this second season, there, there are six episodes that have, that have aired. Next week is the mid... Well, not next week. This Sunday is the mid-season finale. They've wasted six episodes that, that, don't one little girl. All right. Don't give me any more because I'm, I think, an episode or two behind. Well, you know if, you, if you're an episode or two behind, they're looking for this little girl. Yep, that they're I know. They're looking for her. Oh, well, fuck that. And in the book, it was never lost. Okay, fair enough. I'm like, if anybody who's been lost in the book, they found them within one or two episodes. And you could say, oh, if we followed the book, we, we wouldn't have enough stories. But I'm like, your first season was only six episodes long. You now have 12 episodes. If you wanted to be really accurate and said every episode represents one issue of the book, you'd almost have five seasons worth of episodes. Because the current issue, the, the last issue that's come out, is issue 90. Okay. I'm like, there's really no excuse for wasting a whole half a season looking for a little girl who really, in the main scheme of things, is somewhat inconsequential. Like, nothing significant is really tied to this girl. Okay. Other than just... Okay, I respect that. I think I, I, you know, my 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 opinion of The Walking Dead. I'm gonna leave until the season wraps. Same thing with American Horror Story. Um, 
I have I have opinions on that stuff, and I will share them at some point in a, in a future episode. I think that that these shows are are actually what I like to call doorways for other programming that pushes the envelope. Because some of the stuff you see in The Walking Dead, some of the stuff you see in American Horror Story, Sons of Anarchy, Breaking Bad, these are these are all pushing the envelopes of television to the point where networks need to come up with more intriguing programming to compete. So, you know, I'll share I'll share my thoughts on that later on, but I can understand your frustration with The Walking Dead. I can I can definitely understand. I mean, so many things have happened in the show. You know, uh, you know, you know, it's either backwards or it happens later. So it's like the show's not bad. I'm not, I, I like the show. I like the characters, and that's part of why I have a lot of the I guess that it's just too fucking fucked up. But it's like I don't know. They need to do something else. Yeah, well, we'll see how how they close out the season, and then you know when they do the third, if it picks up steam, we shall see how it goes. You got anything? I mean, this one picks up steam in the in the winter and, and spring because it seems like they're gonna do at least thirteen episodes or something. I can hope so. I think I think that the that the that the layoffs make people excited to watch the show, but in some cases are detrimental as well. So. It depends on how long the season is, like, like I said, it really pissed me off that they did a half-ass season last year, especially with the Broncos behind the show. There's no reason why they only should have six episodes. And I'm kind of pissed that they, if it's the mid-season finale already, that means they're probably doing, like, maybe 13 episodes for a large, large-action TV show. A season should be, like, 20 to 25 episodes. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So they should be doing a lot more, especially with the following. I mean, just if you, I know it was always a thing you took off, but if you saw the amount of people, this is just Comic-Con, the amount of people packed in to see that premiere of The Walking Dead, that town. That was a huge following for the show. Oh, yeah, of course. The reason why I should have this, what I call this half-ass treatment because man, I'm not saying that that um it's being handled poorly per se, but why is it only getting like half, half a season or a quarter of a season? I, I don't understand. I mean, the, the show's got to be making money. Oh yeah, it definitely is making money, especially, you know, they're doing post-show stuff and merchandising i mean it's it's getting a following dude i just think it's in that in that gray area at the moment there you go you got anything else to add my friend no i'm good for now all right brother well this is gonna wrap it up so while you're here i just wanted to uh officially wish you a happy thanksgiving and uh you know i'll catch you around Same, brother. all right brother peace all right guys that actually wraps up the show for this week so much like i said to slick i wanted to take the opportunity and wish all of our listeners live and archived a happy thanksgiving and um i wanted to say that i'm actually thankful 
for all of you guys, whether, you know, even though I go on my rants and I, I shit on a lot of you for your lack of participation and lack of involvement and just your overall lack of anything, I am thankful for the fact that, uh, you know, over a thousand people a month tune in to hear three hours of me covering all this stuff and in some cases are active enough to at least become fans of the show on Facebook. So I am thankful. I'm thankful for my staff and for my colleagues that help deliver all this content to you guys. So with that, I'm going to close the show just wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 117 for Wednesday, November 23rd, 2011. If you'd like to be a guest, have any feedback, questions, or concerns, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or you can call the feedback line 347-815-0687. Again, that number is 347-815-0MTR. If you'd like to be a guest, have questions, concerns, you can use either one of those two avenues. If you do not want your voicemail played on air, please make sure to let me know in your voicemail message, and I will not include it. You can follow us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio. You can follow me personally also, Rich underscore MTR. We are on MySpace. I don't even know if MySpace is still active. Become a fan on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash MyTakeRadio. We're on Formspring. If you got any questions for us there, formspring.me forward slash MyTakeRadio. And we are on Google+. Plus. Add us to your circle. Just look for Google+. Plus. Just look for us on Google+, Plus under My Take Radio. Last but not least, you can get the MTR app for your Android and iOS devices. For Android, you can find it in the Google Marketplace, the Amazon Marketplace, and AppBrain as well. For your iOS devices, obviously, the iTunes Store is your source. You can listen to MTR on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, Subscribe via iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, Blueberry, Miro, and Mixler, amongst others. And any other podcatchers were probably there as well. Last but not least, make sure to tune in live every Thursday at 11 p.m. For new episodes of MTR, archived episodes go up within 24 to 48 hours. I'll catch you guys next week. Again, happy Thanksgiving. Peace. Taking us out this week, I think it would be fitting to go out with... I think we're going to go with the Super Street Fighter 4 Time to Oil Up from OC Remix. You can get that at ocremix.org.